Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. Welcome to Madland is brought to you by Winview Games. I know a lot of you guys have played a lot of DFS and made wagers against the house. And sure, sometimes you win, but probably more than not, you end up losing. Well, I want to introduce you to a new app called Winview. It's truly the most winnable way to play. New users actually win 50% of the time. It's that easy to win cash. All you need to do is answer yes, no questions before the game and even during it to win. So, yes, they have live and pregame contests. You can play for free or real money against folks that you're smarter than. And you can play your first $100 risk-free, so there's no reason not to try it now. Use my link. It's winviewgames.com slash Matt. That's winviewgames.com slash Matt. Get there now. If you're an iOS user, that link will take you directly to the App Store. It's a no-brainer. winviewgames.com slash Matt for WinView. Hey guys, welcome to this week's edition of Welcome to Atlanta. We appreciate you guys making us your weekly destination to catch up with some of our favorite Atlanta and Georgia guests, both past and present. Let's not waste any time. Let's get to this week's edition of Welcome to Atlanta. He is a great story and a local story. Jeff Francoeur, boy, he's been known around these parts for a very long time from his time at Parkview when he had a great decision to make. And it's a, a rich man's problems, right? Great football player, outstanding baseball player. Was it going to be Clemson? Was it going to be the Atlanta Braves? You'll hear that story, plus his tale of his times with the Atlanta Braves. Here's Jeff Francoeur on Welcome to Atlanta. All right, let's talk about Jeff Francoeur, the uh, young baseball and young football player, the young athlete. Um, to be the high school athlete you were, we all saw how good you were on those two platforms. Tell me about, like, 12-year-old Jeff. How good of an athlete were you then? <laughs> well, I was def- I'll say I definitely was better as a baseball player, I think, when I was younger. <clears throat> um I started playing traveling balls 10 and I was on the team with Kyle Davies who, you know, was from Georgia, BMAC, all of us, a big group, but th- those guys played football for the, I mean, baseball year round for the most part. And I started, you know, I played tackle football since I was seven years old. So I, I loved football and I continued to get better and better. And I sprinkled in basketball, but I'll be honest, if, if it was, a normal day I get home and I was either throwing the baseball in the backyard or playing football. I mean, it was literally nothing else. Did you love one more than the other at a certain age? I loved baseball early on the best. And when I got to high school, I loved football. And, but I always knew what my passion and my number one love was, which was baseball. But you gotta understand when you go through the recruiting thing, you know, all of a sudden football it becomes so much bigger, obviously, too, here in the state of Georgia. But when you start getting calls from Bobby Bobby Bowden and Lou Holtz, it just kind of takes everything to a different level. And you get a little bit overwhelmed. And I think that's what happened to me for for about a year, is just that you get sucked in because football is so big. You know, it's 10th grade. You start getting letters from Alabama, Florida, you know, and it's just a cool process. Where baseball is not quite like that. Um, I mean, you get recruited, you do that, but it's not like to the – you know, to the importance that football is. But I always knew, though, that baseball is what I wanted to do. When did – so you said 10th grade, the the football letters and the communication starts with with big-time programs. What did you think of the baseball avenue? Was it going to be play college baseball, or did you think there was a professional opportunity even at that age? 
So me and my dad made a decision that when we when we were going through this that I was either going to college or I was going to play pro baseball. You know how like some people will, you know, play pro baseball and then go back and play college football and disenroll. And I just said no. I'm either going to college or I'm going to put all my eggs in one basket and go play pro baseball. Um, going into my really when I thought I could, you know, you hear people say you're you know you're good. You, you how you stack up against other guys. When I knew I really had a chance was when I went to going into my senior high school, I did the US, uh, USA Junior Trials, and I went to Cuba for three weeks during the summer. And I was on a team with Jeremy Sowers, um, BJ Upton, Sergio Santos, Scott Cashmere, you know, all these guys that went on that year, the year before me. BJ Upton was mine, but the other ones, and they were all like first-round picks. And so I'm out there putting these numbers up and doing, you know, I made the all-tournament team for that thing and doing it. So at that point, I really felt like, wow, I think I have a chance to be a first-round draft pick. And if that was the case, then as much as I love football, see ya. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's come back to the, the baseball for a second. Uh, take me through the recruiting process as you're starting to talk to these head coaches and they're showing interest and you're talking about taking visits. Did you and your mind from 10th or 11th grade have an idea, it, like it's here or here, or were you open to any – SEC, ACC, a big-time school. You know what's funny is I really – one of my number one schools was Georgia Tech. I loved Danny Hall um, at that time. I loved just, you know, how he was. What killed that was I went and met with um, George O'Leary, and uh, Bill O'Brien was the recruiting coordinator. And I still actually have a relationship with Bill O'Brien, and I laugh about it, but – it's absolutely hilarious that I walked in and basically George O'Leary told me that I could not miss spring football until I was done until I was a starter on the football team. Well, you know how it is, man, you come in to, to play baseball. I'm starting as a freshman in baseball. I know that, you know what I'm saying? Like as a top guy, you're coming in, you're going to play right away football. I, I mean, I, you know, I, at no point would I ever think I was going to start as a freshman that I would have to earn my way you know, get bigger, stronger. It's different than baseball. And so I remember telling George O'Leary, me and my dad were sitting in his office, and I was like, so what if Georgia Tech baseball is playing Florida State? You know, they're both top ten teams at that time, you know, on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, but it's during spring football, and we have practice on Friday, Saturday. And he's like, oh, we fly you down after the game Saturday night, and you could play in the Sunday game. (laughs) And we were like, all right, well, see you later. And we literally got up, shook his hand, thanked him for his time. And Bill O'Brien came running back after me. My dad, oh, so I'm going to talk to him. I'm going to talk to him. And we were like, well, that's that for tech. And, and Danny Hall was pissed because, you know, the thing about it is a lot of people still don't know to this day, though, but if you play two sports in college, you have to sign a football scholarship. You can't sign a baseball scholarship. Did you know that? I did not know that, no. It's called the Bear Bryant rule. And what happened was was when Bear Bryant was at Alabama, they're signing 300-pound linemen to swimming scholarships because <laughs> they didn't give a rat's rear end about swimming. So next thing you know, you have 125 guys on scholarship, <laughs> basically. And so I had to sign a football scholarship wherever I went. So it's actually kind of funny because in baseball, some of these guys, they were recruiting me hard, but they were kind of getting away with it because wherever I went, they were going to get me for free you know, in baseball. Um, but it really, honestly, it ended up coming down between Clemson, Ole Miss, and um, Florida State. 
So ultimately, it was going to be Clemson if you didn't sign professionally with the Braves. What was it about Clemson that was going to make you decide to play there? I love Tommy Bowden, man. He was so great from the football aspect. He said, listen, my dad dealt with this at Florida State with Dion and, you know, tons of different guys, you know, that played Charlie Ward with basketball, that played two sports. And he's like, he wants you to be able to do that if you can do it. So Tommy was like, when football, when that bowl season's done, you were done with football until I need you back July 1st for the second start of summer school. So I'd be able to play college baseball. And I, if I went to college, I'd still be able to do like a month and a half in the Cape. So I was like, that, that's great. You know, like I'm, I'm in. So, and then from the baseball stand, standpoint, Jack Leggett had been there 20 years, was well-respected. And at that time, their two assistant coaches were Tim Corbin, who we all know what he does at Vanderbilt and how awesome he is. And then Keto Sullivan, you know, who's the Florida head coach that won the national championship, what, two years ago. So, I mean, he was stacked with, with coaches. It's a new year, which means it's time to try something new. And I'm talking to you folks who have not yet tried the Daily Draft in downtown Woodstock. I hope you'll go see my friend Sean Daly. That's, get it, the Daily Draft. This is the ultimate sports bar experience. So, as the football playoffs near, and then baseball's around the corner, knock on wood, and all the fun springtime things that will happen in Atlanta, you're going to want to enjoy it at the Daily Draft. It's downtown Woodstock on Main Street. What you're going to find? A craft beer bar, self-serve taps, big screens all around you to catch every view of the big game. And when I say a big screen, they have a movie-sized screen with a front-row seat right in front of it that you can grab if you get there at the right time to enjoy all your favorite games. A chef-inspired menu with soup, salad, sandwiches, flatbreads, uh, you name it, they have everything to find everybody exactly what they want when you're going with the family, a boys' night, or a date night. TheDailyDraft.net is where you can find all the information about some of the nights like Trivia Night, Kids Eat Free Night, and more. TheDailyDraft.net. Go find them downtown Woodstock on Main Street. Tell them Matt sent you. You'll love The Daily Draft. Folks, I want to introduce you to a new partner here at Welcome to Matt It's my friend Holly Ramey from Mickey Travels. A travel planner is a great friend to have. And if you're like me, we got winter break coming up in a couple of weeks and then spring break and then it's summer vacation. You could be planning that vacation of your dreams, but that's a stressful job. Finding the best deals, understanding all the new travel protocols, not easy. Well, getting in touch with Holly Ramey at Mickey Travels will make that process so much easier. Whether it's booking your next trip to Disney, checking out that all-new Disney Genie system, which is intimidating, or knowing the current protocols if you're traveling abroad. Whether it's a cruise vacation, a beach trip, the Caribbean, or Disney, Holly will help you do it all. She's a certified travel planner working for you, making the vacation planning process stress-free and hassle-free. And speaking of free, this is a 100% free concierge vacation planning service. You don't pay Holly a thing, and she plans the vacation of your dreams. Plus, Holly also knows where to find some of the best deals so you can end up saving money in the long run. My family's been working with her, and she's done a great job for us. She can do it for you. I want you to log on to the website. You can check her out at mickeytravels.com or directly get in touch with her at holly, H-O-L-L-Y, at mickeytravels.com. That's holly at mickey, M-I-C-K-E-Y, travels.com. Free service. She'll have your back making that vacation of your dreams possible today. Hey, are you tired of shopping your car and home insurance every single year? Well, somebody's got to do it. But that somebody doesn't have to be you. At the Rose Group, we can get you up to 10 insurance quotes in less than 10 minutes. Visit us online today at rose-group.com. 
All right, so then let's circle back. So now you're working up to a decision. You want to go play college football at Clemson. The Braves have taken you in the first round. Was it as close as, as I remember everybody telling me? Did it come down to the wire? Did you have a decision in your mind which one you wanted? How did it play out? Well, yeah. So, so we went when we went through the whole process, the Braves, we had talked to them, and, and they were kind of wanting a number on what I would sign for if they drafted me. And we said north of two. And so they said, okay, great. So they draft me. And the day after the draft, basically, you know, you get a, we get a call from them and they basically say, oh, we got 2 million and we can't go any higher than that. So they went back on their word. Um, I'm pretty sure you know who that was. I'm not going to say his name. <laughs> he traded me for a bag of baseballs to New York, but, um, and so it, it pretty much was like, a, you remember, there was no end of signing date like there is now. It was until you stepped on college campus. So, so it's not, you know how now, like, like by July 1st or something, there's a cutoff, you know, where you have to sign. Mm-hmm. There's none of that then. So I had two days starting on July 25th at Clemson. And it was July 21st. And I remember Sherholtz calling me and he was getting pissed. He's like, what in the heck is the holdup? You know, and I kind of just told him how I felt. Like, y'all were said your word. I remember Paul Snyder came over to my house, and I love Paul more than anything in the world. And he looked at my dad, and he was like, you make sure you get what your son's worth because you only get one chance at this. And I always thought that was a cool thing because here he's working for the team, <laughs> you know, and he's basically telling my dad that. But it was unbelievable. We got it done in about five minutes after that. Sherholtz called me. He said, you know, what's the thing? I said, they said north of two, so, like, Five minutes later, they called my agent. They're like, "How does two two sound?" And we were like, "Great, done." <laughs> so, so that <laughs> so makes I the yeah. So. I literally they came over that night. I signed the contract, and the next morning at uh, nine thirty, I flew to Danville, Virginia. All right. So then you, you know, like you're playing now professionally. That's a job. So take me through that first step of realizing now that this is your career. Was it as bad as the movies portray the minor league bus trips and the, you know, just the way of life in the minors? It's crazy, and I honestly now that you see how some of these minor league teams and players and stuff are file grievances, there's no doubt they should. I mean, you know, I had my signing bonus to fall back on. I was so lucky, but you have fourth-year college guys literally that sign for $1,000, and they're making $600 every two weeks. And, I mean, it's, it's tough, and you're playing in these small podunk towns. I mean, like when I went to Danville, Virginia, I remember my first road trip was to – Princeton, West Virginia, and Elizabeth and Tennessee. And I was like, these places exist? <laughs> you know, like I never knew about these kind of towns. But I'll tell you what, man, I still have some of my best friendships um, with guys that I played those two, three years with in the minor leagues, from there to Rome, you know, Myrtle Beach, all those little towns from the bus rides, because you're with them every day, all day. You know, in the big leagues, for the most part, guys are married or have families by then. But when you're there, you're just playing baseball. So, literally, you're hanging out with them all day. You know, you almost all live at the same apartment complex. So, you know, honestly, they become your family. And they become people that, you know, you have great times with and bad. I mean, you see people get released. You see people, you know, get basically told they can't play anymore. So, there's a lot of tough moments, but a lot of great moments, too. Did you feel the pressure of eyes on you because you were the first-round pick and you had a big signing bonus and you come in with some acclaim? I did. And I'll tell you one thing that I loved about that, though, too, was 
you know, Dayton Moore, who, you know, is one of my closest guys in baseball, you know, was our minor league director. And it's different these days how it happens. But back when we played, like, you know, me, BMAC, Kelly Johnson, you know, all these guys that were first two, three-round picks, we they were ten times tougher than us on us than they were other people. You know, there was no kissing you-know-what. I mean, I remember – Longtime Braves Jim Beecham, man, who I love. He's my favorite outfield coach. <clears throat> and my first game in Danville, he flew in to see me. I didn't even know who this guy was. You know, he told me that he was in the big leagues with the Braves forever, did all third inning. I overthrow the cutoff, man. Dude, I come in and he undresses me like I've never been undressed before. <laughs> and I remember thinking, Wow, should I have gone to Clemson? <laughs> like, what, what, what did I get myself into? But, man, I never would have been the player I were without guys like Jim Beecham, Rand Engel, Rocket Wheeler. We had the best minor league people, man. We really did. And it showed because we got to the big leagues. And you, you saw when we got to the big leagues, we knew how to play the game. There was no – we played the game the right way. We were prepared. Because if we didn't, Bobby would send our ass back to the minor leagues. Yeah. Well, I want to ask you about the, the transition of the bigs in a minute, but talking to Chipper Jones about this, I said, when was the first time it hit you that there are guys just as good as me and, you know, what I did in high school or even the lower levels? Like, that goes away. Was there a point of self-doubt at all for you any time in the minors? Probably when I got – a little bit when I got to Rome. I knew I was going to be good, but in Danville, it's a college league for the most part. I was one of the only high school guys there. And these guys are just trying to pump 95. So, I mean, there's almost no off-speed pitch. So, you're just dead red heater. So, I played really well. But then we got to Rome the next year, and that's South Langley. And that's where you get a lot of those first, second-round pitchers, high school or college. So, I was facing Scott Cashmere, those type guys. And, you know, you see the stuff that they have, 95, 96, cutters, change-ups. And you're starting to think, wow, <laughs> I'm a long ways away. <clears throat> and I am – a lot of work away and I love what the Braves do for all their young guys the first year which I think it's the greatest thing is like it didn't matter how good we played we were staying in Rome the whole year that's the same thing Drew Waters did if you remember last year like you're playing the whole year you're going to get used to a full year schedule the same coaches the same place you live getting home and I still this day said that was the best thing because I saw how much better I got as the year went on that all of a sudden I faced these guys in June. Then I faced them again in August and I'm like, man, I'm having better ABs. I'm having a chance. I'm, you know, and so we were able to see how much better we were getting as we went along. Now it's easy for me to say sitting back here, but it, I mean, fairly quick rise through the minor league system. I wasn't the one sleeping in, you know, motels and doing bus rides, but I mean, you're 21 years old. You're in double A. Did you see a call coming from the Braves when it came? I remember I was playing really, really well in May, and BMAC got called up. And, you know, we went out that night because he had to fly out the next day and had a, you know, few drinks to celebrate and all this. We were in, uh, we were in Tennessee, and, you know, I was so pumped for him. But part of me, you know, you start to think, when's it my turn? I was playing really, really well at the time. I thought, man, but. At the same time, the Braves went into that year at the outfield of Mondesi, Andrew, and Brian Jordan. So I'm thinking, oh, well, well, all of a sudden Mondesi gets off to a horrible start. So I thought maybe I'd get called up. Well, they called Kelly up. And Kelly had been raking in AAA, so it was well-deserved. 
So Kelly calls up, so I'm thinking, man, I might be here a while. But Dayton called me on the phone and said, listen, dude, your call is coming a lot sooner than you think. And he said, keep playing your butt off, get ready, and I promise you it's going to happen soon. And I'll forget, it was three weeks from the night day that Brian got called up when I got my call. And, you know, it was, it was surreal because I was playing well, and Brian Jordan got hurt. And so I remember I was nervous. I got called up from Montgomery, Alabama. Um, J.J. Piccola, who was Dayton's assistant, who's Jason Dayton's assistant in Kansas City now, drove me from Montgomery to Atlanta. I got home at 1 in the morning to my parents' house, and it was a day-night doubleheader the next day. <clears throat> and the morning game at 1 o'clock, Mark Fryer was pitching. The night game, Jerome Williams. And I remember Bobby kind of saying, I thought I'd play you in the night game. And I was like, yeah, that's a real good idea. You know, I'm like, <laughs> I don't know if I want to face Pryor my first game. But it was so funny because I remember that I get to the field, my first game. I mean, you know, we'll get back to it, I'm sure, in a second. But the the cool thing was, was I got there and Bobby said, listen, BJ's out for 15, 20 days. You got your chance to show me what you can do, you know. And I just loved that because there was no, like, I'm so happy for you. I'm proud of you. Even though I knew Bobby was happy for me, it's a business. And he's a big league manager. And he's like, listen, this is the moment you've waited for. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Go out and show me what you can do. And I loved it because I remember, you know, the third night I I played, I came in in the fifth inning in a double switch, and I faced Ben Sheets. And that was like my first big, big guy, you know, that you've just seen. You're like, holy smoke. And he threw me a 2-2 curveball, really good one. I mean, I almost took his head off and hit a single back up the middle. And it was like that at bat for me was like, wow, I can do this. And, you know, I just – it was great because after that, Bobby started playing me every day. Well, Jeff, I want to back up for one second. So you said you're you're in Mobile. Tell me about the call home because I love hearing these when you called mom and dad and said, hey, I'm getting the call, but I'll be in my bed tonight. Well, I was actually in Montgomery, 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 Alabama. And it was great because I was actually with – you know, John Sherholtz, you know, junior and five or six other guys. We were at a, we got rained out that night. So I was actually at a Japanese steakhouse. So Snit, Snit called me twice and I just sent it straight to voicemail because we were sitting there eating and stuff and finally called a third time. And he was like, answer your damn phone, you know? And he's like, I need to talk to you. Come over real quick. So I was actually a little worried that something might be wrong with like my parents or family or something. And I walked into the room and him and uh, Phil Wellman, were sitting there and they each had a uh, beer sitting out and had one for me. And I knew then, and it was awesome. You know, we had a minute, hugged a little bit, had a few tears and I stepped out and I called my dad right away, you know, first call, you know, and I, I just, I couldn't believe it. I knew he was at home. He was actually at work. And I, I said, you know, what you doing tomorrow? You know, and he said, work, same thing. And I told him, I said, whether you want to finally come watch me play with a big league Jersey. And I mean, it was just, you know, my dad's not an emotional guy. You know, in football, baseball, in high school, he'd always sit off in the side of the stands. And if I did something, you know, he'd give like a little golf clap. There was never any like big fist pump or, you know, he was proud of me, but he expected the best from me. And he wasn't going to sit there and gloat or do something when I did well. So to see him get that excited was just, you know, something I'll, ne- I'll never forget that phone call. The greatest phone call I've ever made. Um, yeah, I, I imagine, but I can't even imagine. That's, yeah. Yeah. So, okay, so doubleheader night. You're playing game two against the Cubs. I mean, it's now one of the coolest things because we've seen all these first-time brave home runs, and you're right there at the top. 
take me through the AB. Are you on cloud nine when you hit it? Like, do you have to go back and watch the video to really appreciate it? Yeah, and I'm, it's such a cool story because, you know, my first about I ground out the third, and then I struck out looking, which is hilarious that I struck out looking because I never do that, you know, and then and then I struck out the third time. So I'm 0 for 3 with two strikeouts, you know, and I'm thinking, crap, you know, it comes to that inning and, you know, we're down one, first and second, 3-2 count versus Glendon Rush. And I remember I was so mad at myself because I fouled off a 3-1 ball right down the middle that I was like, that's my pitch. And on that three, two, I just remember, man, it was like one of those, you couldn't even feel the ball off the bat. I squared it up so good, you know, dead center, a little bit right side of it on a, on a flat line drive. And I remember I just started sprinting out of the box. I knew it was a hit. And when it went over the, over the fence, it was, it was the best 10 seconds of my life and the worst 10 seconds because I wanted to run the bases forever. You know, you want, there's 44,000 there that night, you know, and it was like, I wanted that moment to last forever. And, you know, it was great because I did that. I get in the dugout, everybody's high-fiving me. And then one of the greatest things that ever happened was I didn't really even understand what a double switch was. And I got double switched because we were bringing in the closer to try to get six outs. And so Bobby double switches for me. And I'm like, what the hell? I'm getting pulled. I just hit the three-run homer to put us up. And I'm getting yanked. You know, but it was uh, finally Pat Corrales, our bench coach, explained to me. He's like, just shut up and enjoy it and sit down, all right? I was like, all right, Pat. But uh, it was to see my dad finally let go like that and he fist pumped. Um, you know, I remember my, my mom being there, my sister, my brother, Katie. You know, we were dating at the time. But just all – Everybody, honestly, that got me to that point, my high school coach to whatever, was at that game that night. And it was like the perfect start to my career with people that got me to that point. How do you come down that night, like, to put your head on the pillow and go to sleep? I didn't. I remember, you know, because I was staying at my mom and dad's house. And I remember, I mean, I I tossed and turned all that night. I I remember getting up the next day, and I I couldn't even – like I couldn't even function. We had a game that night, but I, n- I never went to bed. Literally, we went back to my house and a bunch of friends came over. You know, we had a few pops. We celebrated, but it was like everybody party probably left at like 1, 1.30, and I just literally sat there and st- I felt like stared at the ceiling all night <laughs> replaying that. I kept, you know, I kept pulling it up on the video, watching my swing, watching my home run. And I, I remember the first week of the big leagues went by, and it was like I never even was there because it was before the all-star break. You know, it was the week before the all-star break. So it was like, it just was absolutely crazy. It's a new year, which means it's time to try something new. And I'm talking to you folks who have not yet tried the Daily Draft in downtown Woodstock. I hope you'll go see my friend Sean Daly. That's, get it, the Daily Draft. This is the ultimate sports bar experience. So as the football playoffs near, and then baseball's around the corner, knock on wood, and all the fun springtime things that will happen in Atlanta, you're going to want to enjoy it at the Daily Draft. It's downtown Woodstock on Main Street. What you're going to find, a craft beer bar, self-serve taps, big screens all around you to catch every view of the big game. And when I say a big screen, they have a movie-sized screen with a front-row seat right in front of it that you can grab if you get there at the right time to enjoy all your favorite games. A chef-inspired menu with soup, salad, sandwiches, flatbreads, uh, you name it, they have everything to find everybody exactly what they want when you're going with the family, a boys' night, or a date night. TheDailyDraft.net is where you can find all the information about some of the nights like Trivia Night, Kids Eat Free Night, and more. TheDailyDraft.net. Go find them downtown Woodstock on Main Street. 
Tell them Matt sent you. You'll love The Daily Draft. Hey, I'm Holly, a local business owner and busy mom of three. Look, I don't even remember the last time I took an uninterrupted shower. I definitely don't have time to shop for the best insurance rates. That's why I called The Rhodes Group. As an independent agency with relationships with multiple providers, they have the expertise I need to get the best coverage at the lowest rates. Check them out at roads-group.com. That's R-H-O-A-D-S-group.com. Folks, I'm not a great sleeper. I never have been. I need everything to be just right to get the best night's sleep possible. One of the things that I need to be just right is my pillow. And guess what? It's right now. Thanks to MyPillow.com, and I tried the MyPillow Premium. It's been a game changer for me. I went with the MyPillow Premium because I wanted the right neck support. I was tired of the old pillows going flat on me. And thanks to Mike Lindell, who invented the MyPillow product, which took over two years to develop because he wanted to make sure everything was perfect with the pillow that we all were going to need for the best night's sleep. Well, that's just one of the great products that MyPillow.com has available to you guys. And I want you to go to MyPillow.com right now. You can look for yourself and see the perfect pillow for you. But now Mike's changing the game with his six-piece towel set. This set is made with USA cotton, making it extremely exorbitant, yet still providing you the soft feel and the look you want in your towel. The set comes with two bath towels, two hand towels, two washcloths, typically retailing for $109.99. But for a limited time, you can get this set for the low price of just $39.99 with promo code MATT. Promo code M-A-T-T. Remember, all MyPillow products come with a 60-day money-back guarantee. Just go to MyPillow.com. Click on the radio listener special to get this insanely low price of just $39.99. On the towel set, you'll find other deep discounts on all other MyPillow products as well. Enter promo code MATT at MyPillow.com. So that first six weeks, I mean, like it went from break into the bigs, three-run homer, starting to hit at a huge level, rock star, and then there's the Sports Illustrated cover. So take me through that call you get from Sports Illustrated. And did you know, A, it was the cover and that whole story that was going to be done? Well, the two things that were like I felt like my I belong moments were before the Sports Illustrated cover, we were out in San Fran. And you know me, I'm a huge golfer. You know, I play all the time. You know, I love it. Well, I knew Smoltzy, LaRoche, and Chipper were like the three guys that played golf all the time. So I knew there was room for one more. <laughs> but I'm 21. I'm not inviting myself. And But I took my – I remember, I'll never forget, you know, I took my clubs on the road because there was an off day in Arizona. And I got word that Smoltzy was taking those two up to, like, the mountains in Payson, Arizona to spend the night in, like, this $5 million cabin and play 36 holes the next day. And I wanted to go so bad. But I wasn't going to invite myself. Well, that day in San Francisco, Smoltzy was pitching the Sunday day game. And I threw a guy out at the plate and went three for four off Noah Lowry with a home run, a double, and three RBIs, and we won four to two. And Smoltzy, of course, was so happy that I basically helped him get the win. Then after the game, the shower, he comes up. He's like, what are you doing in Arizona? And I was like, nothing. He's like, you want to come up with us to the mountains? And I was like, cha-ching, I'm in. <laughs> and I'll never forget, I, got, I was on that plane so proud, man. I was like, I'm in the golf foursome now, uh, which was great. And then, of course, Sports Illustrated. I knew I was going to be in it. They told me there's a chance you're going to be on the cover. But, you know, they came to Turner Field, took all those pictures and everything. And then I'm sitting in the locker room in Chicago, and sure enough, they come up to me and drop 40 Sports Illustrated right on the table with me sitting there. 
So you have Chipper and Andrew and Smoltz and Huddy and all these guys just coming over, and, I mean, they are railing on me. Yeah, what, are you kidding me? Six weeks? Sports Illustrated? I mean, Jesus. <laughs> you know, blah, blah, blah. And so, of course, they're hammering me. And I already got hammered when I got there because they used to give me crap all the time. They were like, yeah, man, we'd come in on Saturday mornings, and instead of us being on the front sports page, it would be Parkview High School beat so-and-so, and it would be your picture. You know, and so they were always giving me crap before I even got there. Um, so to get that was like, it was a dream. People ask me all the time, Matt, if it's like, oh, the curse, this and that. Are you kidding me, man? I still love this day when I go come out of the booth and someone's got my Sports Illustrated and they're like, will you sign it? Because that's something no one can ever take away from me. Did it make it a little easier, though? I mean, that's kind of pinnacle for, for a sports fan who becomes an athlete. But like you said, you would gotten pub from the high school days and this is a different level of pub but did that make it at all easier all the attention you were getting you know what it, the attention was great and i you know i was my parents raised me right of you know of course i got a big head at times who wouldn't but you know i think for the most part i was pretty level-headed the one thing if i could go back and change through that time would have been understanding that I'm going to have to make adjustments at some point. But you don't think about it when you're going through it, man. Like, you know, for two years now, I've talked to Dansby Swanson before this year about adjustments and listening to people off the field. But you know what? I can tell them, but until you experience it for yourself, no one can tell you what's really going on. So then let's fast, let's fast forward the rest of that year. You guys, I mean, the, the baby Braves that we all knew and fell in love with that year, you and Mac and Kelly, and just it was Langer hands and one after another. You guys continue the streak, which I'm sure that had to be such a, um, a feather in the cap because nobody wanted to be on the team that, that it ended. And for you guys, you got to continue what was now a historic run. It was awesome to, to sit there, watch Chipper and Smolty, you know, hold up the 2005 banner. And then they gave it to me and Kelly and Mac, and we held it up. And it was like, okay, you know, this is like so much fun. I've watched these guys for years. I was seven years old when they won the first one. And here I am 14 years later in the middle of it being a big part. And, I, you know, I wish I could have slowed those moments down, going to Houston in the playoffs, the way we lost in the 18-inning game, just like that whole thing me and BMAC talk about still this day. It happened so fast that, honestly, it was so hard to enjoy it until it was done. How much does that game change, though? You just said faster, right? How, how different is the feeling, the, whether it's the pressure, the stage? And that's a division series, but how different does it feel than a regular season game? It's completely different. I tell people all the time, the postseason is a whole different animal, man. Every run means something. Whether you got the bases loaded and no outs and you ground into a double play, I remember Smoltz a few times, that's one more run that we've given that pitcher to, to go out there and do it. And you know, it was so much fun because I remember last year seeing some of these young guys. I was calling the game for 680, you know, out in L.A. and seeing the look on Ozzy and Ronald's face. And it was like, I don't care how good you are, how good you did during the regular season. When they stepped to that plate in front of 56,000 at Dodger Stadium, I remember Ozzy telling me, he was like, oh, my gosh. He was like, I, I, I was at a more nervous than I've ever been. And it goes back. I was more nervous my first appear, plate appearance in the NLDS than I was my first at bat in the big leagues by far. Because you it's a whole different stage. Everybody in the world's watching. Yeah, that's crazy. Um the next two years, I mean, like expectation was there and Jeff Francor is twenty nine homers over hundred ribs. Next year went over hundred ribs again, nearly hit three hundred that year. So at that point, and I don't care who you are in any 
23, 24-year-old's mind, you saw yourself in Atlanta for 15, 18 years. Am I right? Absolutely. Who wouldn't? <laughs> you know, at that point, you think that. And the biggest mistake I made was in 2006, I hit 29 home runs. I had a better approach and got my approach even better and hit, you know, 294 or whatever it was with 109 RBIs. I only hit, I hit 19 homers. And a lot of people started, you know, why, why didn't you hit more home runs? We thought your power numbers would continue to go up. And that offseason, I put on like 25 pounds and got to 240. And it was the worst decision I ever made. Changed my swing. My swing got long. It was slow through the zone. I had to start cheating to get to fastballs, and I was out in front of breaking balls. And it literally was just a nightmare. Well, that's what you're referring to, right? The, the 2008 yep. season, it just yep. it just couldn't get going the way you wanted it to. So tell me how you deal with frustration for the first time at that level. Um, is it noticeable at home? Is it noticeable in the clubhouse? How did you deal with it? Well, what what was frustrating? No, most guys in club I'll tell you, I, I was very, I was frustrated, no doubt. But I get there at one o'clock, and I was in the cage working with TP. But this is the problem: is for the first time in my life, I had really, really been struggling. And then it was like, okay, I'm going to try this tonight. Like this feels good. You hit BP. Well, I've come to the conclusion that I could hit BP however I wanted to hit BP, and I'd hit home runs because <laughs> I could. And it was one of those things that you get to the game. It was like my first about in the game, something would go wrong, and it's like, crap, this isn't going to work again, and I'm back at square zero. And that got really frustrating, and I didn't know how to handle that. I didn't know how to handle the um, adversity of that um, as far as, like, I started to listen to anybody and everybody. Instead of just listening to, like, TP and Chipper and a few people I listened to, I was listening to the barber tell me how to hit. And I just got to the point where I was so messed up, and then – of course, I got sent down, and, you know, I came out and said I wasn't happy about it. And what I really wasn't happy about was the fact of how it happened. Like, there was never any talk. There was never any, like, let's sit down. Like, I literally was brought into a room. And it's so funny because I think it's just how when I got sent down, you know, I was hitting, like, 236. It's crazy now. Guys hit 236 today, and they're in the starting lineup every day. And, you know, I knew I was struggling. I knew I wasn't playing great. But what pissed me off was that they sent me down between us and then I get called back up four days later because someone gets injured and so my thing is like if you're sending me down send me down so I go work on stuff don't send me down and then call me back four days later like I've figured something out you know I went down to double a and I was like eight for 11 for those four games and I realized that no matter no matter how bad I was struggling in the big leagues I could hit down here you know what I'm saying like that's not going to be a problem but that was the thing that always frustrated me with down there was getting set down the way it happened. There was really a three minute conversation between me and Frank Wren in his, in Bobby's office. And Bobby didn't want me to go down. Bobby wanted me to stay up there. He wanted to give me a weekend off, let me really work through things. And, uh, you know, the decision was made. Speaking of decision, it, I mean, it happened very quickly from breaking into the bigs to sports illustrated cover to back to back, really good years that, you got a call that you were traded, and I think you referenced earlier, for a bag of balls to the New York Mets. What was that call like? Well, it was surprising, too, because I got three doubles the night before. <laughs> so I always tell people, when's the last time you got three doubles and got traded? <laughs> you know, the next day. Um, so I didn't even see it coming, you know. Like, it, it completely threw me off guard. And Bobby calls you in, and he tells you, you know, hey, listen, you got traded to the uh, to New York. So I remember just sitting there and he goes, yeah, the Mets. And I go, the Mets, you know, here I am. 
I grew up a Braves fan. You're supposed to hate the Mets, you know? And now all of a sudden I'm going to New York. We were out in Colorado, and I remember I got on a plane, and it just happened so quick. Like all of a sudden, here I am. I'm supposed to, you know, play less than 24 hours later with a team that, honestly, I grew up hating. And honestly, I didn't know how to handle it. It it was weird. It was different. And, of course, the worst thing in America happens that I play – two games with them and then of course where do we open the second half four games in atlanta of and course. i'm just like you you got to be kidding me you know and i still say this day it was the worst four games of my life that i had to play um i actually did okay but it just it was weird i mean the fans were great they gave me a standing o but it just never was the problem was there was no closure you know what i'm saying like when i got traded to the mets to the to the rangers went to the world series there was communication. There was talk. There was this. When I got traded from the Braves to the to the Mets, there was nothing. And that's what really, to this day, still pissed me off about how everything went down. Well, let me ask you about the transition to New York because on the field, the numbers were there, right? I mean, things went well. Yeah, it went pretty well. Yeah. How about off the field, though? How was it culture shock? New York City, that media, that clubhouse, how different was it? The good thing for me, man, is you know my personality, so – you know, I was always accountable. Even Atlanta, when I struggled, um, I was always accountable. So when I went up there, you know, good game, bad game, you know, I was available by my locker. And I always said, my the biggest thing I tell all these young guys, get to know everybody's name for the media. Because the idea that they walk in and if they walk by you and you say, you know, hey, Mike, how's it going? It, 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 it just automatically gives you a little bit of leeway. You know what I'm saying? Like, Maybe they'll have to write that you haven't played good, but they're not going to bury you, you know. And so I honestly didn't mind that. And me and my wife, you know, we didn't have kids yet, so we lived in the city. So it actually ended up being a lot of fun. I mean, we enjoyed ourselves. You know, it's cool playing in New York, you know, at night. And, uh, you know, it's just a different feel, a different vibe. But, you know, for me, still, Atlanta was always home. So I missed that part. You mentioned getting traded to the Rangers, and, I mean, there's another dream come true, maybe not with the Braves, but you mentioned the stage, hitting on the postseason stage in Atlanta in the division series. How about your first World Series at bat? Unbelievable. That That's by far the most nervous I've ever been um, as, as a baseball bat. And honestly, just in all of sports, the most nervous I've ever been was just going out there. You know that it's everybody's watching it. Any baseball fan, people across the world, you know, and so – it was so much fun, though, because it was such a good group of guys. And you know Ron Washington, how awesome he is. So to have him as my manager and the chance to play for Wash, I mean, the post, the pregame speeches were some of the most epic speeches you've ever heard. I mean, if, if they would have to be on HBO, obviously, and they would be bleeped out probably every other word. But still to this day, I tell people, I'm like, I mean, you talk about a run. He, he made baseball so much fun. And... um. It was one of those things you dream of playing in a World Series your whole life. You want to win it, yes, but I can always tell people I've played in a World Series. Jeff, did you see yourself after that doing the bounce-around thing? I mean, everybody thinks they're going to make roots wherever they are, but you did Philly and you did you know, Miami and back into Atlanta, which I want to talk to you about in a second. But um, like, tell me you know, what that experience is like bouncing around uh, as the years went along. I didn't mind it because I got bounced around for <clears throat> different reasons. Like Sometimes you hear people get bounced around because – you know, they're bad clubhouse people. They're this and that. You know, I got bounced around because I got to a point in my career where I platooned 
um, more and was playing against left-handed pitching and actually in 15 in Philly had a great year off the bench, pinch hit, and, you know, was one of the best pinch hitters in baseball. So those are the type of guys that start to bounce around. So the idea of bouncing around never bothered me as much because I knew why I was going to get bounced around a little bit. And, you know, quite frankly, I got to keep playing the game I love. So it's like, hey, you know what? It might not be in Atlanta um, where I've always wanted to play, but you know what? It's the big leagues, and there's 30 teams. So everything does come full circle because you make your way back to Atlanta in 2016. Um, You were – remind me, right? You weren't guaranteed anything. They brought you in as a spring training invitee. You hit well. You made the team. Was that as surreal as it gets? Yeah. The best – you know, you talk about the best moment of my career – it's standing out there for the World Series, um, playing that. The best personal moment for myself was probably pinch hitting my first game back at Turner Field in front of 53,000 and the people just standing up and going crazy for me. And, I mean, it, it meant the world. And then, of course, how ironic is it that I get to a 3-2 count and walk? You know, <laughs> who would have ever thought? My first bat back in the lane would be a nine-pitch at bat walk. <laughs> People were probably like, what the heck? You know, but um, it was so cool to be able to come back to the fans, come back to the place that I love, and quite frankly, where, you know, I'm hoping to work and, and live the rest of my life. Well, sum it up, because the career, and everybody tells me this, whether you play 10, 12, or 20 years, it, it goes like a blur. <laughs> I imagine the same is true for you. Are there like two or three things from that long career that will always stick out? Yeah, first and foremost, my walk-off grand slam in 06 was the only game my grandpa ever got to see me play. My dad's dad from Boston, he was sick. He wanted to wait till we came up to play the Red Sox the next year, realized he wasn't going to make it. And, of course, he flies down. He was really weak, and he got to see my walk-off grand slam. And uh, he died a month later to the day. Um, and it was so cool because just it's one of those things that, I mean, what are the chances? You know, I, I have – I got four career walk-off home runs, and one of them's obviously grand uh, grand slam, and he just happened to be there that night. Was incredible, and then I'll I'll never forget hitting ten years in the big leagues. You know, just to to realize all the hard work, everything you've done um, to do that. And then honestly, the last thing I'll never forget was my last week in the big leagues and being on that team in Miami when Jose Fernandez got killed, and just made you realize how precious life was and that, you know, you're not guaranteed another day. And so, you know, really, I I never knew that that would for sure be my last week in the big leagues. But now that I look back, it's like, you know, you realize you're in certain places for reasons. And, um, you know, I was there at that time. So let's finish up with this. And I think it's a great place to finish. You mentioned now doing, you know, the Braves games in the booth, right? You're home more with the kids and the wife. How is Jeff Francoeur handling post-baseball? awesome you know you worry about some people sometimes you know people ask me do I miss it I I miss being in the clubhouse you know I miss joking around with the guys do I miss getting to the field at 130 for a seven o'clock game heck no you know do I miss getting in on every road trip at four in the morning and having to play the next night not a chance and you know in February and March I get to coach my kids and softball and rookie, uh, rookie baseball coming up this year first games March 26th next year for the Braves. So I get time off. I don't go to spring training. I don't have to do all that. You know, like this whole week I'm off. So I'm, I'm dad. We got softball practice tonight. 
I played as hard as I possibly could for 12 years and left it all out there. And so for me, I don't regret a minute of it. And I know I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. I love Atlanta. I love baseball. And I get to bring the Braves to people every single night. And it's actually hilarious because me and my wife say all the time, this year I've been recognized and get talked to more than I ever did as a player, um, being, being the announcer back here in Atlanta. And for me, that's cool. I get to bring – baseball into people's homes every night so what better way to you know go about the rest of my career jeff it's great stories it really is i appreciate you spending some time with us and sharing those and uh you know continued success we'll see you around the corner thank you brother guys thanks again for joining us we appreciate it very much thanks to brian murphy for producing the podcast and thanks to you guys for making us your weekly destination we'll talk to you next week on welcome to madland welcome to atlanta where the players play and we ride on them things like every day big beats hit streets see gangsters roaming and parties don't stop till eight in the morning welcome to atlanta where the players play and we ride on them things like every day big beats hit streets see gangsters roaming uh-huh. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. In today's fast-paced world, your business deserves banking solutions that are as dynamic and cost-effective as you are. Solutions like free business checking from LGE Community Credit Union, free online and mobile banking, no minimum balance required, plus no maintenance fees and dividends on your balance. At LGE, we're a smarter way to bank. See what's possible for your business at lgeccu.org. No monthly maintenance fees. Other service fees such as NSF, overdraft, wire, and stop payment fees still apply. Not all businesses will qualify. Membership eligibility and base savings account that keeps it $5 minimum balance required. The fan is ready for brave season. Are you? 3-1 smoked high in the air, deep center field, and heading for the horizon. A home run by Olsen. We're streaming every game of the Braves 2024 season free on the 680 The Fan app. So make sure you download it now and don't miss a pitch of the Braves this season.